It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Moody Radio has got this phenomenal resource. It's today in the word devotional. It's a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. And there's a theme every month. And the theme for November is send me what the Bible says about calling. And we have the author of the November issue with us this morning. Her name is Kelly Worrell, and she's a professor of communications and the chair of division in music and media arts at Moody Bible Institute. She teaches both writing and public speaking courses, and Kelly studied communications at Cedarville University and then religious education at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and creative writing at Roosevelt University. And Kelly and her husband, Peter, they often speak at marriage and college and young adult retreats, and they are the parents of two children of their own through adoption, and they enjoy decorating their craftsman house. What is a craftsman house? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's craftsman style, kind of Frank Lloyd Wright mission style. You can sit behind me. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. 1920s. I love it. Okay. Cool. All right. So this whole edition of Today in the Word for November is about calling. And there's a lot of nuances to the idea of calling and the truth of calling throughout the scriptures. Talk about that. Yeah. I think when I started digging into this subject a little bit more deeply a number of years ago, I think this really spoke to me. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around this idea of Mm -hmm. calling. And I think we automatically think of the specific dramatic calls of God to a specific task. But throughout scripture, the way that that same word for call is used has a lot of nuance. And so it's used, um, God, it's the first time it's used is in Genesis when God calls uh, his creation by name. And so mm-hmm. he names things. So that's the first way that that word call is used is that naming idea mm-hmm. and identity, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is really foundational for how we understand the concept. Uh, it's also used just in communication as God calls to us and we call to him. Uh, so again, it's an open line. It's a two-way conversation. And then it's used in a general sense that we are called. Uh, Jesus calls his disciples uh, follow me. We're called to holiness. We're called to walk worthy. So there's a lot of sense in which there's just this general call of God on our lives to follow him. And then we do have a number of these specific stories where God clearly and dramatically calls people their special or specific calling to a certain task for a certain time. So it's a lot more nuanced Mm -hmm. and there's a lot more uh, breadth and depth to the term that I think we automatically assume sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, enough to dive into a whole month's worth. Yeah. So tell tell me, what what is one example of of a specific calling, a biblical example of a specific calling that we can see walked out? Yeah, I think the first one we come up to is Abraham. Abram in Genesis chapter 12, where God calls him to go to a land that he doesn't even know where he's going and to become the people of God, to become Israel. And Abram moves forward in obedience. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one thing I love about that is once he gets to Canaan, he sets up an altar and he calls out to God. And so even in that one story of Abram, we see that two-way communication where God calls him 
to go and he goes, but then he calls back to God. And so it's that that beautiful communication. One of the things I love about that story is that Abram was 75 years old when he got that call. So, I mean, yeah. I think we I think we think about like calling. Maybe that's something that we spend a lot of time on when we're, you know, 18, 19, 22. Yeah. We're just kind of trying to figure out what our life is going to hold. But he was 75 years old. Yeah. And I think that's one thing I misunderstood. You know, I work with 18 to 22 year olds at Moody, both my husband and I do. And so we talk about calling a lot. Mm-hmm. And that is a pivotal time, those young adult years, when you're probably first starting to wrestle with this. What am I meant to be? What am I meant to do? But yeah, when I was that age, I didn't understand that we keep bumping up against this concept throughout our lives yeah. uh, as God leads in new ways and to different places. And and we just walk out our faith in that general call to be his followers. The difference between calling and assignment, are they are they different? Are they the same? Because calling feels really big and kind of lifelong to me and, and very spiritual. And then there's assignments. There are things, tasks, I feel like, that God, you know, has in mind for us. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between the two? Yeah, I think there's a lot of overlap. You know, like I was saying in the earlier segment, I think calling is a bigger concept that we see throughout scripture in different ways. But God definitely does call us to specific tasks at times for a specific season and for a specific time. I think we see that in scripture too. Uh, so I think there's there's both, right? There's this bigger sense of calling on our lives. Uh, perhaps, you know, in a bigger sense, I am I'm called to raise up the ge- next generation of mm-hmm. people to serve him. I feel like that's why God's put me on this earth and how mm-hmm. he's gifted me. But that can look different. It can have different assignments within yeah. that for different seasons. So give me an example from your own life of what an assignment looked like and how you knew it was a God assignment. Yeah, well, I think right now in this season, about four years ago, he... I did sense a calling of God to step into this position of chair, but I wrestled with it. They asked me once if I would consider the role of chair of our division, and I actually turned it down the first time. I said, no, thank you. I felt like I had other work that God was putting on my heart with writing and speaking. And then they asked again. And so I had to wrestle with God about it. Like I didn't really want, I had kind of a Moses moment where Moses had all these reasons why he wasn't the right person. uh, And I felt that inadequacy. Uh, but then just in prayer and conversation with other people came to think, well, for now, for this season, this is an assignment that, that God is giving me. So I will step into it with fear and trepidation. Uh, but then you see him equip you. You know, I think that's the other thing with calling is that when God calls us, he also equips us for that task. And somebody's listening right now and they're wrestling with what is my specific calling? I know that God wants me to do something specific, but I'm not sure what it is. What can you say to them? Yeah, I think there, there's a lot to say, and that's a, you know, maybe we can dig in a little bit next segment too. But, you know, I think to start with, we open that line of communication. We make sure that we are calling out to God, that we are listening. Mm-hmm. You know, we call out to him in prayer and we listen. We put ourselves in that posture of hearing from him through his Holy Spirit through his word, uh, he will confirm those things through wise people and wise counsel uh, in our lives as we seek that. And I think God also directs us through open and closed doors. 
you know, we take steps of faith, believing that this might be what he has for us. And he's more than capable of closing those doors, right? He's a very able communicator. Mm -hmm. So we walk forward in those ways. Kelly, the Lord all throughout scripture and history has called ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that makes me think of Mary. You know, if there's anybody that was called to something extraordinary, who was very, very ordinary, it was Mary. And, you know, she was probably a 14 year old, something like that. Talk about Mm -hmm. Mary. Yeah, I love the call of Mary too. One of my favorites. And for those reasons, she was such just a humble character, but also this posture of humility and obedience. Mm -hmm. And when the angel appears to her, she, God had been preparing her already too, which I think is an important aspect of calling. We're not always aware of all the preparation work that God is doing in our lives, but he had clearly been preparing her for this moment. And then when she receives this news from the angel, she has some questions. They have a conversation. You know, how can this be? She's a little little confused. Sometimes we are. Uh, We're seeking clarity. But then when the angel gives her those answers, she is obedient. Let it be to me, she says. And she walks forward in that obedience. And and I think that, um, that conviction of that calling clearly served her well as she walked with Christ throughout his life and then through his death Mm. uh, and then resurrection. Tell me more, a little bit more about what you mean when you say that God was preparing her for that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think we don't know a lot about her early life, but she probably was trained in uh, the scriptures and as much as she could have been probably had some understanding of God had an openness to his life and I, to his word and his communication. I think we see that in other characters too in scripture, how God prepared them. I mean, we see that in Moses, how he was raised uh, mm-hmm. in Pharaoh's household. And so there was a preparation there. Right. Another one that I love that we don't uh, cover a lot in this edition, but is Esther. I think we see that God had been preparing her even in the discipleship of Mordecai, her cousin, mm-hmm. uh, raising her up and positioning her where God wanted her for such a time as this. And so we see God doing that work in his people throughout the scripture, getting them ready for what it is that he has for them. And God will normally usually call us out of our comfort zone. You know, like in the case of Moses, you know, earlier in his life, I think when he was 40 years old, he thought, well, I'm, I'm all that in a bag of chips. I'm ready to go. And then God sent him into the desert to humble him. And then you know, he didn't want to go. He he had been humbled and he was called out of his comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. That's so often the case. I think sometimes we have a, I think we are a culture of comfort. We long for mm-hmm. comfort. And I think sometimes we assume that God's call for us must be something that will be comfortable for us. You know, it'll be something wonderful and, and lovely. And uh, that is not always the case Mm -hmm. by any means. And I love Moses too, for those, for the reasons that you mentioned that he wrestled with that calling. This was not going to be an easy task. Um, I think we also assume that God will call us to something in which he's gifted us. And certainly he does give us gifts to be used 
But Moses is a great example of God calling him outside his natural gifting mm-hmm. and then preparing him and equipping him in the moment, sending Aaron with him to be a helper to him, to have strength where he had weakness. Uh, and yeah, so then God promises as well to Moses his presence and God will supernaturally intend to fulfill this calling that he has put on Moses' life. Kelly, we hear the word calling used for pastors and used for missionaries. They're called into the mission field. Do we all have a calling? And if so, how do we figure out what that is? Like, how does discernment play into discovering calling? Yeah, I think scripture has used this term calling in that general sense. We are all, as God's people, called to follow him and called to obedience and called to repentance and called to relationship with him. So there is that that general sense of calling that we all have always, that we are to walk in that and to walk worthy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then God does give these specific calls. And I think he does. He is sovereign over our lives. He has created us with a purpose. And so he has instilled that in our hearts. And I think we, we discern that through his word. As we pour into his word, he uses his word. It's alive, it's living, it's a two-edged sword. Uh, and it can he can use that to communicate to us about our calling uh, through the truths there. He communicates through his spirit uh, at work within us. As we are opening that line of communication, again, calling out to him as he calls out to us. And he uses other people in our lives to speak in with discernment. Uh, and then he uses open and closed doors. I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, you know, we just as we walk forward in faith, a few years ago, we were, we felt like God might be calling us to sell our house and to move closer to Moody. And so we're like, all right, God, we, we think this is of you. We're going to move forward, take steps of faith. And it looked like it was working out. But then within 24 hours, two co- contracts fell through, bam, bam. And so we're like, okay, clearly a closed door. Uh, <laughs> and so we listened to that and, walk forward in obedience to that. I love in Jeremiah 1.5, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So this idea of God setting us apart before we're born, was that just for Jeremiah or does God do that for each of us? I think God is clearly sovereign. I think that speaks to his sovereignty over all of our lives, right? He knows. He knows the beginning from the end. And so he creates us with a purpose. Uh, But then I think he does call specific people for a specific time. We don't all have the same calling. Uh, So there are certain instances where he speaks in and calls a specific person to a specific task for his glory and for the good of his people and for his kingdom. Uh, And so I think with Jeremiah, we see kind of both of those things. Jeremiah was his. God knew knew that and called him to be his, to be his servant, and called him for that specific task of being a prophet uh, for that time and for that purpose. Mm. You had mentioned earlier in our conversation today that you're called to shape the lives of, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds. How do you know that that is your call? How did you discover it? And how do you... How do you know that that is what you're called to do right now? Yeah, I think it, it unveils over time, too, as you walk forward in that, and God confirms that and puts that on your heart. 
there's a sense of the Holy Spirit just speaking and working in that. You see the fruit of that as you work in that area. Uh, he gives that fruit. It's his for his glory. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's this combination of things and it unfolds over time as well. And then as we were saying earlier, there's specific tasks within that. Sometimes they'll call to a specific season mm-hmm. of what that looks like. It can look different over time. But that is definitely uh, something that God put on my heart a long time ago. Even when I was in college, I sensed a call to teach. I didn't know at that time exactly what that would look like or how that would unfold. But as you follow the gifting that he gives you and as you follow the open doors that he presents and you listen to that wise counsel and you see that confirmed in his word, uh, it becomes clearer. Each, each step that you take, he clarifies and he leads throughout your life. Kelly, just to just to land this here, and this is this is a a curveball, I guess, from where we've been talking. But there's somebody sitting in shame, and we find ourselves sitting in shame in our lives because we're broken and fallen people. And mm-hmm. in those places, God is calling to us in our shame. He mm-hmm. He doesn't want to push us away. He wants to call us back to Himself. Talk to talk to yeah. us about that. Yeah, I think one of the clear calls that we see in Scripture is that call to repentance and to renewal and to restoration and redemption. And his people, you know, we see throughout the Old Testament is God is calling his people to repentance. And then as they do repent, he restores them, right? He welcomes them back uh, and renews them and brings them back into right relationship with him. As human beings, we continue that cycle of sin, Um, But there's always forgiveness, right? Always forgiveness at the cross. I don't know about you, but I've had this painful reoccurring thought that there's a one-to-one correlation between something bad that's happened to me and a terrible sin I've committed. Maybe you can relate. For me, it's something like, Is God punishing me with horrible feelings of shame because of the sins of my teenage years? Scholar, New Testament, New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, or Tom, as we like to call him, has the podcast, Ask N.T. Wright Anything. It's amazing. Produced by Premier Media. And he got this heavy question from a young father. My wife recently had a miscarriage, and I wonder if it could have been my fault or habitually sinning with pornography. Man, that's heavy. Mm. I know how God dealt with David's adultery by taking his son's life, so I wonder if God could still Mm. discipline us like that. I wonder. Here's N.T. Wright. It's a good question, and I know a lot of people, and pastorally I know a lot of people who have, in our age with the easy accessibility of pornography, etc., have gone that route. It seems to me it's a modern form of idolatry. Mm. Paul talks in the context of sexual misbehavior of covetousness, which is idolatry. But in a sense, we are all idolaters at some point. Yes. Whenever we say we're sorry, it's because we have secretly worshipped this or that or the other idol, and it's led us down this or the other dark path. And I think anyone who's afflicted with that, it's a form of addiction, mm-hmm. and and one can get help with all forms of addiction, yeah. and there is help available. So that said, I think the idea of God doing something like that as a specific punishment for what this man has done 
is a very dangerous and potentially damaging view of God. Now, I'm not saying that God, under some circumstances, can't use some sorrow as a way of alerting us to the fact that there's something wrong, you know, uh, if that suddenly makes you feel guilty, well, maybe you need to feel sorry and a bit guilty and you need to deal with that with some pastoral help. But I wouldn't rush to connect the two. I would say if that reminds you that something is amiss with the universe and that makes you think of your own wrongness, Mm -hmm. then deal with the wrongness, Mm -hmm. but don't join them up. There's many, many other stories in the Old Testament which go different ways. God deals with David because he's the anointed king, for goodness sake. And David needs his nose rubbing in this at this precise point. And then, strangely, um, the next child to be born is Solomon, and he's David's successor. Um, So what's all that about? Um, So as with... Jesus in John 9, when they find this man born blind, and the disciples say, who was it who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. Mm. And and there is a sense of please don't rush to make the connection between one particular sin or set of sins and one particular physical result. And there are many, many things in this world which are not as we would wish as with miscarriages as with people being born blind etc and because we have a strong sense of the justice of god which is a good strong sense we all tend to short circuit the process and Mm. say ah if god was just he wouldn't have done this unless Mm. dot 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 therefore maybe it's Mm. this Mm. and i want to say back off back right off and be humble before God, talk to a pastor about this, but do not regard this as a one-for-one yeah, yeah. because really it's not yeah, like that. Yeah, And that is N.T. Wright from his podcast, Ask N.T. Wright Anything, produced by Premier Media. And, you know, Tom referencing John 9 is so brilliant yeah. and so important for us. As Jesus was walking along from John 9, he saw a man who had been born blind Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Notice there's no other choice Jesus has in this question. Right. It's like Job's. It's a multiple choice. (laughs) Yeah, Job's friends. Yeah. And Jesus says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. It happened so that the power of God could be seen in his life, completely contrary to this guy or his parents Mm -hmm. sinned. Yeah, I mean, the question about, you know, why was he born blind? Was it because of his sin? Well, if he was born that way, he hadn't even sinned yet. Yeah, right. So logically, that just doesn't even make any sense. Well, it could be that God knows everything. I mean, I'm just saying Sure. the guy might be thinking, well, God knew what I was going to do wrong, so that's why I'm blind. I mean, that's, gotcha. how, that's how poisonous it can be, this right. kind of thinking. Right, Yeah. So, you know, in my case with shame, you know, thinking that the painful feelings of shame in my life from my sins as a teenager— are God's punishment for me, you know, I just have been able to head that lie off. That's good. Because God has worked the feelings of shame for my good. 
He has showed me the seriousness of my sin. I mean, we need to feel mm. the, we need to grieve about our sins and see how our sins have hurt people. But more than that, you know, David says when he sins against Bathsheba, he says, and he commits adultery and he commits murder, he says, Lord, against you, against yeah. you only have I sinned. And so, yeah, the shame has made me realize that I'm the one who thrust the spear through Jesus' side. So it's worked, it's worked good in that way, too. I think that we don't like being uncomfortable. And so we don't want to sit too long in that space of what did I do? And I also think there's a gift for us in sitting in that space because feeling that <laughs> helps us to not return there. Do you know what I mean? There's, it's, I think it's a part of the repentance process, of a healthy repentance process to be able to, to sit with what happened. But the thing is, we can also sit there too long. Mm-hmm. You know, just beat ourselves up, beat ourselves up, spend the rest of our life expecting to receive a punishment for what we did. I think sometimes we even think we'd feel better if we receive some kind of punishment yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for what we've done. Like there's got, it's there, we cry out ourselves for justification. And I think, yeah, we do, we do this not wanting to sit in that space. I think we do this with other people too. I think sometimes we're really quick to want to say a word that's going to bring comfort rather than just being sensitive to the Holy spirit and you know, all the truth is going to come to the surface, but to, to let one another get the gift that that moment brings before we bring the word of comfort can be a real gift to somebody. Yeah. It leads to, I hear you saying, if it leads to a change, Mm -hmm. if it leads to repentance, then it's a beautiful thing, but we can end up punishing ourselves. And I've done a lot of that too. So we do need to, to get out of that quicksand of self punishment and look to Christ in it. And that's what shame can do for us and has done for me. Also, I mean, with shame, He's shown me the healing power of his love. Just God has poured his love into me and embraced me so many times in those moments of shame. And I've I've written songs out of the shame that I've felt, and I would have never written these songs had I not gone through the shame. Right. And so God just does amazing things through it. And I have come to realize Go ahead. There's a difference between saying, okay, so God did some beautiful things out of my shame and I'm grateful for those things and praying for God to remove the shame, right? I mean, I'm thinking about Paul and his prayer of, you know, got this thorn in my flesh and I keep asking the Lord to take it and he doesn't seem to be taking it, right? We can we can ask God to relieve us of that shadow of shame so that we don't live in the shadow and be grateful for what transpired out of that. Mm-hmm. But what we don't want to do is to not want to get out of it because we believe God's doing using it. Right? Like we don't want to we don't want to make friends with we don't want to hang curtains on the wall of shame. <laughs> you know what I mean? And make it home. Yeah. I mean, we want to move through it. We right. want to move forward. We want to move toward healing. But, I mean, I can say that I still feel the wound of shame in my life. I think that it's a wound that I will always have. I don't feel it like I used to, but it's a wound I'll always have. And I won't be fully healed until I see Jesus. Why? Why do I still feel it? Because it's a wound. But it doesn't 
it doesn't tell me the same message anymore that it used to tell me. That's important right there. It used to tell me that, you know, what you've done is who you are and who you'll always be. There's no hope for you. Want to get past that. Yeah. But the shame keeps me humble, keeps me coming back to the gospel. And as Brennan Manning says, and I, I just love this so much and I believe it, it's not an easy thing to get here. And, I, and in a sense, I'm getting here. But everything that has happened to me had to have happened to me to make me who I am without exception. Okay, real quick. You run into your 18-year-old self. You've got three words. What do you tell him? What do you tell her? Boom, go. Oh, get a life. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) You're harsh. (laughs) I came across this post over the weekend that said this, right? Give me 50. Give me 50. Drop and give me 50. That's too many. Yeah, you go with give me 50. Anyway, I come across this post, and my first thought was, don't give up. I would tell younger Shauna, don't give up, girl. Sure. Don't give up. Yeah. Especially knowing what was coming in the years, you know, the next five years for her. Um, And then I thought a little bit more about it, and I was like, no, I'd tell her cling to Jesus, which is a good word, no doubt. But then I thought about it a little bit more, and I came up with seek God first. So obviously I spent yep. a lot of time thinking about this, but I would tell her, you know, cause I know what's on her mind, right? She's thinking, who am I going to marry? And, and am I going to get discovered? Am I really going to live my dream of, you know, traveling and singing and which I did a lot yeah, of that. And I did that for a couple of years, for a few years, a lot of traveling and singing, um, international travel and whatnot. Lots of opportunities for that. But I would tell her, seek God first and keep seeking him and don't stop. Seek him always. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things that take up capacity in our mind, right, that we worry about. What's the context, though, for this message? It was Jesus who spoke these words. So I love diving into, because we, we use this verse a lot. We pull it out, and it's self-standing, and we say just this verse, seek first the kingdom of God. But where did it come from? Let me tell you what this thing is nestled in, this little nugget of wisdom. It's the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is teaching the people about every area of life. I mean, you name it, he's talking about it. He's talking about lust. He's talking about anger. He's talking about loving your enemy. He's talking about not being a showy Christian. Don't make a big deal about it when you're fasting. Don't tell everybody how hungry you are because you're fasting. You know, don't draw attention to yourself when you're praying. You don't have to use those big words. Just, and don't invest so much in this life. My goodness, invest in eternal things. And he's talking about anxiety. And that is where we find this verse about seeking him first. So I'd want to tell my 18-year-old self the same thing that Jesus was saying to his followers 2,000 years ago, the same thing that he's saying to you and me today. Seek God first. My parents told me this. Yeah. Because Jesus, Jesus Christ wasn't first in my life as a teenager. I was his child. I knew him. I had experienced some of him. Didn't really read the word, but my parents said, Harry, Christ is not first in your life. You need to put Jesus first in your life. It's the only way you're going to be fulfilled and happy and have the life that you want. They didn't use those exact words, but that's what they did. You know, Mm -hmm. sat down and especially my dad. And, you know, I have so much respect for my dad. And he wasn't saying it in a condemning way. 
he said it in a way that I just couldn't shake it. Right. I couldn't shake it. So much wisdom there because he knew stuff about life that you didn't know. And that's the thing. I mean, this life feels so urgent. Everything that you're going through right now feels huge. Think about your 18-year-old self. You were so wrapped up in what was going to happen in high school and if you were going to get invited to the prom and all the things, right? It felt huge. It felt bigger than life. (laughs) I know things now that my 18-year-old self didn't know. And Jesus knows things right now that you and I don't know. And he's saying to you, and he's saying to me, seek God first. All this stuff, all the right now stuff that feels so big, it is all going to pass away. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things will be added to you. It was the summer of 2010. Our family was spending some time with friends at Lake Tahoe. Highly recommend it. Beautiful place. But I was struggling. I was feeling overwhelmed by guilt and shame over the sins of my past. In one of my conversations with my buddy Joe, whom I saw on Friday night, had an awesome time, but we were talking then, and one of us brought up John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, And if you know anything about John Newton, before he was a believer, he was a slave trader. He had blood on his hands, literally. But in one of his ocean journeys with slaves on board, a terrible storm came up, and he felt the terror of God crushing him, and he cried out for mercy. That was his first step toward inside-out transformation, and God did transform him. Became this hymn writer, became a pastor, just became a advocate for the elimination of slavery. Jesus does that kind of thing. So anyway, I said to my buddy Joe, how could God work any good out of the horrible sins of John Newton? Because I was thinking about my own sins. I mean, there were slaves who died because of him. And I'll never forget what Joe said. Think about his song, Amazing Grace. Think of everything God has done in our world because of that song. I mean, the world knows this song. Yeah, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're in church or not, everybody knows this song. Yeah, you find it being sung everywhere. And what he said to me made grace even more amazing. God uses our greatest failures to do the greatest good. Really? Do I really believe that? God uses my greatest failures to do the greatest good? Author Brennan Manning says that after he entered seminary, He went to a priest and told him about his bouts of drinking during his years in the Marines and how he was so ashamed over the time he wasted getting blitzed. And Brennan says, to my surprise, the priest smiled and said, rejoice and be glad. You will have a heart of compassion for those who walk that lonely road. That's a great way of not complaining. Right. (laughs) Giving thanks. Yeah. And just celebrating that. God does, he truly makes, brings good about even the hardest moments of our life, the most difficult things, the things that we wish could just stay in the shadows. Mm -hmm. If we're willing to receive the healing, like the deep inner healing, God can use those things for his glory. God can reconcile all things, the worst things. And so Brenda says, we need not, listen to this, we need not be eaten alive by guilt. I have spent so much time in my life being eaten alive by guilt, but we need not. The reconciled heart, the heart has been 
the, the heart that has been filled with the love of Jesus, the reconciled heart says that everything that has happened to me had to happen to make me who I am without exception. Everything that has happened to me had to happen to make me who I am without exception. Mm -hmm. I believe this. I really do. I may not see it this side of eternity, this side of eternity, how God worked my greatest failures for his greatest good. And I may not believe it 100% every single day, Mm -hmm. but I believe it. God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's not a trite thing to say when we struggle with our past or we Mm -hmm. struggle with the present or we struggle with hard times. That is a powerful, powerful truth. And it's not a justification of our past either. Like, oh, it makes me feel better, so it's okay. Do you know what I mean? It's not a pat on the back of the things that we've done that are dishonoring. It's it's just how good God actually is. Yeah. And we usually need to hear this when we're we're in despair. Not when we're feeling really good about ourselves. Right. We don't care about the past, but usually we get stuck in the past. We get stuck in these hard places. And so God is working all things together for good because you love him. You've been called according to his purpose. How many things is he working for your good? All things, mm-hmm. my friend. Think about this song. Would have never been written had John Newton not been a slave trader. When we give our life to Jesus, we become concerned about the things that God's concerned about. I mean, if it matters to God, then it matters to me. I want God's will to be my reality in my life. But how do I know what God's will is for me? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16, 17, and 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So there you have it. If you're wondering what God's will is for you, there it is. Here's a question for you. Why would God want this for us? I mean, what does he know that we don't know about the impact of being joyful and about being grateful? I got to hear a message from Craig Groeschel. This goes back a little bit. It was the beginning of the pandemic, and he was talking about staying positive <laughs> and focusing on what's good, no matter what, no matter what you know goes down. And there were some great things to grab onto. And one of the things he said was, a negative outlook doesn't lead to a positive life. I mean, that's just... It's very simple. It's not rocket science, but it's also 100% true. Optimism is God's plan for your life. Now, hang on just a minute before you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is she going all, you know, name it, claim it? (laughs) Yeah. Power of positive thinking. Right, right, right. No, no, no. Okay, let me tell you what optimism is not. It's not a denial of your reality. It's not a blind faith, you know, that just says isn't looking at the circumstances around you. Verse 17 says, you know, pray continually. In other words, what your circumstances are, keep talking with God about your circumstances. And of course, we're encouraged to, by prayer and petition, like bring our requests to God and present them to him, right? So this is not about sticking your head in the sand and pretending things aren't what they are. Sure. But optimism is this unwavering expectation that our loving God is working in every situation for our good. There it is right there. It's trusting him that he's got it. 
that he's got a plan. Yeah. That he has his heart is love for us. And he's going to work things out in his own way and in his own time. And we can just, yeah, keep praying, keep praying, keep trusting, keep believing, keep taking steps, but knowing that he's got it. It's not on my shoulders. It's on his. And that he's good. You know, that you can trust him. Not only does he have it and, and, you know, he's, he has it and he's about ready to smite you. It's not that it's that he has it and he's always good. I mean, that's, that's truth right there. Whatever consumes your mind directs your life. That's just, if, if you're, if it's got your attention, it's got you. So being positive is not a state of affairs. It's actually a state of mind. So the life you have is generally a reflection of the thoughts that you have. That's pretty important. I mean, we got to pay attention to what we're thinking. If that's really true, and I think it is, we've got to pay attention to what we're thinking. We talk about this a lot, but we got to start talking to ourselves and stop listening to ourselves yep. because what we hear from ourselves is usually negative. And so I have to, I have to preach the gospel to myself every day and preach positivity positivity, if you will, right. every single day, which is God's truth. I have been wrestling just yesterday and today, like the last 24 hours with really, really negative thoughts. Thoughts like, you know, nobody likes you. Nobody wants to talk to you. You, you know what I mean? People are annoyed by you. Hmm. Like things like this, just very negative personal thoughts. And I know I recognize this pattern because this is this led me to a very dark place, this kind of thinking. And so it's not the kind of thinking I can entertain. I need to be with the Lord and have him speak truth into my life. But people who think negatively think everything is personal and permanent. It's a victim mentality. Do you need a hug? Ben, (laughs) get over there and give her a hug. (laughs) I don't know that Ben's a hugger. (laughs) Are you a hugger, Ben? He's he's shaking his head. No no hug for Sean. Just just his bride. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, but people who think negatively think everything is personal and, and permanent. That's a, a victim mentality. And the thing is, what you, whatever you feed is going to grow, right? So if you start thinking those negative thoughts and you, you feed those negative thoughts, they just get worse and worse and worse and worse. But what you want to die, you want to starve that. So and you don't want to entertain those thoughts. Feed your thanksgiving and starve your complaining. I think that's what is being said here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I think he knows something that we don't know about the positivity and thinking positively and really focusing on what we're grateful for instead of focusing on negative things mm-hmm. and letting negative things rule and reign in our thoughts. I'm going to do it. All right, so I have a challenge. You guys know what time of the year it is. I've done this now for three years. It's the end of October. We are about to tiptoe into November this week. And so here comes the stop complaining challenge. No complaining challenge, all right? So here's how it looks. Do I have to? (laughs) Good one. Get that out of your system right now before we start. But stop thinking about everything that could go wrong and instead start thanking God for all that's going right. So here's basically what it is. I think when you start doing this, you'll realize how often you actually have negative thoughts or words to contribute to a conversation. So here's what we're going to do. Every time we 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 are tempted to complain, we're just going to stop right there. We're going to hold our tongue, not complain, and instead use that as a trigger 
to give thanks to God. Think about something positive and give thanks to God. So we're not going to hold it in and then explode. Nope, we're going to transfer it. We're going to we're going to turn it into something good. Transform it. Transform it. There you yeah. go. Transform wow. it into something good. How's that sound? Sounds good. I'm in. All right. So I'm just at this point, just kind of priming the pump and getting you thinking about it. We're going to throw down the challenge. I'm going to have a an invitation for you to to text us challenge to and then I'll encourage you along the way as we walk through November. But this is my challenge to you today is are you in or are you out? It's the no complaining challenge. You can do this the whole month of November. I believe that you can do this. And I do think it's going to transform the way that we think. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We can do this. We can do this together. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Barry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Barry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.